Hello, and welcome to the Astrology Hub podcast. My name's Amanda Poole-Walsh, and I'm the founder of Astrology Hub and the host of this podcast. And before we dive in, I just have to ask, are you tuning into the free 2020 forecast marathon today? It is not too late to join. Just go to astrologyhub.com slash 2020 forecast, and you'll get all the details you need to join this live event happening January 9th through 12th. I hope to connect with you in the chat during the live event later on today. Now, today on the podcast, we're going to get into the ins and outs of the Venus cycles and the very deep transformation they provide with Sasha Benedetti. Sasha, if you don't know her, is a trained Montessori teacher gone professional astrologer after a powerful dream of Venus meeting the sun told her that it was time. I hear this from so many astrologers. They're just busy going about their life and all of a sudden the stars and planets speak to them in their dreams or in a powerful vision and show them the next steps to fulfill their destiny in accordance with these celestial beings. What Sasha took from that dream is that so much of spirituality is focused on moving energy up from the earth into the heavens, but she was shown in a big way how to bring that energy down here. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind as all of us astrology lovers move into 2020. It's such a pivotal year for this. Sasha is going to share what she calls her intimacy with the cosmos with us through the lens of the upcoming Venus cycle, which lasts 19 and a half months. This particular Venus cycle signifies the return of something very important. Venus is returning to Gemini, and we will not see this again in our lifetime. The last time it crossed Gemini was in 2012, and this was a very significant aspect of the Mayan prophecy around 2012, and I'm sure a lot of you can trace some huge changes in your life back to that year. And Sasha also shares a very moving story in this episode of a friend who attended a ceremony with Mayan elders during the transition into 2012 and what the Mayan men passed on to the women and what that may mean for us as we move into 2020 in tune with Venus. This episode is for you if you're excited about things like the re-emergence of the sacred feminine, the hero's journey, and the heroine's journey, the exciting and kind of weird threshold we're currently at with technology that's going to either go crazy levels of AI and Big Brother or spark a creative revolution, the likes of which we've never seen to heal the planet, the polarities of power, and ensure every being's needs are met. As Sasha says, the old paradigm is kicking its legs up for just about the last time, and we get to be part of this age-old but very exciting living legend right now. Let's give Sasha our attention. I think you're going to love this one. Sasha, it is so wonderful to be here with you again. We had you recently on the forecast. We're going to have you as an inner circle guide here in a few months, but it's really nice to have you on your Astrology Hub podcast debut. So thank you so much for being with us. I am so excited to be here, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Yay. Awesome. Okay. Well, Sasha, for those who have not heard your story before, can you tell us how you came to become a practicing astrologer? Yeah, I have been thinking about this because you you mentioned that you you're curious for me to, you know, to tell my story. And really for me, the backstory of my story is that I grew up in this new agey Christian spiritual community that was actually pretty, pretty established back in the 80s. So there was astrology around, there was all these things around, but you know, I never felt that they were my own because I was you know, a teenager and I was rebelling and it wasn't my thing. But so I had been introduced, let's just say that. And then when I was in my early 20s, 
I was living in Chico and I got involved with the emerging rave scene there where people were calling each other any any time and all going out in the woods and dancing all night long, you know, bringing in the generators, um, going right out into nature. And it really opened something in me to have that experience of dancing. I had never connected with dancing like that. I'd never connected with that kind of community that was so accepting and um there wasn't any kind of popularity contest. It felt like everyone could just show up as they were. They were there to dance. It was amazing. And at that same time, I was introduced to meditation and I had my first astrology reading. And so it was like this really rich time in my life where a lot got opened up in a time when I could own it and understand it as a tool for myself. So I began from that point on, I began to just study it and learn about my own chart and when I moved to Sonoma County in 1998, I got to be more of a serious, you know, I'm mostly self-taught, so I got to be more serious about it. And we had a group called the Astro Geeks, and we would sit around in someone's living room. We had a projector. We'd project someone's chart up on the wall, and we'd all just geek out on what does this mean? What does that mean? Um, it's so interesting because every, almost every single one of us has become professional astrologers from that group. Wow. Yeah, it's really, you know, it started with just that passion and that passion to understand that passion to share different perspectives, a lot of of what you're doing. (laughs) Um, And then I I did a a year-long mentorship with an astrologer named Ruby Holiday and um, mostly just studied on my own and began to look at other people's charts on my own because I just loved it so much. And um, I think the, the turning point of wanting to go pro was when my daughter was born and I realized that I knew so much about her from her chart. She actually accompanied me for that year when I had that apprenticeship. We would all drive down to Marin and my daughter would come as an infant. And I realized, wow, I have this map. I could support her in so many ways. And wouldn't other parents love that? You know, to have this this incredible insight into their child so that we're not putting our projection onto them of who they should be, but we're really allowing them to be who they are and support them. So I made my first pass when she was an, an infant in putting my, you know, putting myself out a bit. And it didn't really, it wasn't the timing wasn't right. There was too many intense things happening in my marriage. There wasn't the support there to do it, but it gave me that, that idea. And I went on from there to, um, after staying home with my daughter to becoming a trained Montessori classroom teacher really inspired about this idea of this unique spark and how do we honor that in each human and how do we bring that, allow that to come forth without forcing it? How do we inspire that force? And that's very much the cosmic education that Montessori pioneered was all about that is if you have this incredible, engaging, enriched environment, you know, humans love to learn. Humans want to be we're social creatures. We want to belong. We want to get along. And so how do we create those experiences? So I did that after my divorce. I went back to school. I got my teaching credential. I got my Montessori training. I got a job uh, at a very progressive charter school doing the Montessori method. And um, wow, (laughs) that was a moment in my life where things did not go the way that I had wanted them to centered on my daughter being the most important part of my life. 
And my vision was she was going to come to this school. It was an hour away from where we lived and I was going to teach there and she was going to get this free Montessori education because I really felt like that is how we change culture. We change culture. Those early years, developmentally, we are laying down the tracks for the rest of that person's life. And so it just, I was so passionate about this early education and it just went sideways, you know, note Pluto's going over my moon. <laughs> just Oh God. Wow. Right. So it didn't, it didn't go in. And her dad was like, no, she's not going to that school and it's not happening. And so I was in this stretch between the two places and, you know, just in this real heartbreak as a mama who wanted to completely create something for my daughter and be with her. And, and yet halfway into this other situation that I needed to finish, you know, for another year and being stretched. And so that was the, that was the time when I learned that, Venus was going to be crossing the face of the sun. It was 2012 and that we could see it. And so I got the eclipse classes for all my students. I was teaching K one and two in a multi-age classroom. We all went out into the, the playground and we put on those glasses <laughs> and we watched Venus and we watched her track across the sun. And, you know, I had just been through all of this training and all of these hoops, you know, the way that, that we traditionally learn is so, the opposite of allowing our inspiration to come forward. And there's one, one answer and are you going to get it right? And if you don't get it right, you're going to be wrong and you're going to fail. And so it was interesting. I had just gone through that to come into this innovative environmental or, you know, environment of Montessori. And yeah, I had to go through that process myself of, you know, all of the kind of the, the oppression of education to get there. And, um, I still had some lingering feelings about that as an astrologer. Like, I don't know, do I know enough? And am I, you know, I don't know, I don't know. And I watched Venus and it was just like something in me opened up on that day. And that night I went to, you know, went to sleep that evening and I had one of the most powerful dreams of my life. And it was, I was, I was making love to someone and it was like the most erotic, white, hot physical attraction coupled with the sweetest, most broken open in love together. And it was just incredible. And I woke up and I was like, that was Venus meeting the sun. Oh, wow. That's so awesome. Oh my God. The sacred marriage of Venus. And so I really got turned on to the, the actual, what is happening when Venus meets the sun and what the invitation is in order to embody light because so much of spirituality has been going out, you know, going up and out. And so what happens when the light is coming down and in to us and we're becoming the embodiment of the light. And I really got that strong message that you have it in you. It doesn't matter the books you read or the teachers you study with. It's alive in you. And you can trust that. You can trust this intimacy with the cosmos. And so I just started to, um, on the side, aside from teaching, I started to do astrology sessions and it would just come through. And I could see the benefit of sharing from that open place with what I knew and it was so beautiful and so powerful. And then five years ago, I just took the leap and I, I said, I'm doing this. I'm going to actually be an, you know, an entrepreneur and I'm going to be an astrologer and I'm going to do you know, these other things. I have other parts to my business, but, but really work for myself, which is something that I had wanted to do for my whole life, but never had quite had the courage to do it. 
Oh my gosh. That is such a cool story. I love it. Thank you for sharing all those details. You know, this year in the inner circle, we have several of you who had experiences like what you described, where it was a dream or it was an experience outside under the sky that had this like broken open moment and things changed ever since that time. So you and Gary Caton, for sure, and Gemini Brett, I think Linda Bird as well. I mean, but like literally it's so many, I love that because it's, it's reminding all of us that when we get outside and we connect in with the sky itself, that there are potentially some huge gifts waiting and we just have to pay attention. We have to be willing to look and put those eclipse glasses on or, you know, and, and be open to receiving what those messages are for us. And it sounds like for you, you were in a time where you were having to make some pretty big decisions and things seemed, you know, you were on this path and it was like, nope, you're not going that way. It's like, oh, great. Well, then where am I going? <laughs> and then it's like, boom, here's where you can go. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So this obviously is one of the reasons why you're so passionate about the Venus work. Yes. All right. So talk to us about that. So you said eight years ago on, in 2012 was when Venus was crossing the sun and visible. And I know there's some, a very significant moment coming up with Venus in 2020. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. So the interesting thing about the Venus cycle is that she will come back to the same sign every eight years. So she's returning to Gemini. And so there's, there's so many things about this that to me really. Okay. So when she crossed the sun in 2012, she was in Gemini. Exactly. And she's coming back to Gemini. She won't be in front of the sun, but she'll be in Gemini. He's coming back to Gemini for the first time. And she won't come back so that we can see her cross the sun again in our lifetime. So that was a 2004 and then 2012 experience. Um, again, eight years apart. You know, then it's like that to me was really this indicator that there's a return of something. And a lot of the, you know, I, I have followed some of the astrologers I love follow the Maya and I'm not, you know, real deep into it, but I definitely listen and I, I love to learn. And, you know, for the Mayan um, people, they really felt a lot of the people felt like that 2012 experience was the, the actual infusion of the sun so that it, it, it actually changed the quality of the sun. So actually the quality of the light is now different because of that Venus crossing. And I don't, I'm still playing with what that means. I'm in an open, open inquiry. I don't know what that means, but I found it, you know, that point was six months before the solstice of 2012 when the Mayan calendar ended, but it didn't really end, but it was a stop, a serious stopping point in it. And a lot of, of that feels like this preparatory time between 2012 and now was getting us ready for the age of Aquarius, was getting us ready for 2020. So what was it pointing to? It was pointing to the need to return to the honoring of the feminine through living in our hearts, through being more embodied, through acknowledging the pain and suffering of feminine beings on this planet. And, you know, six months before that solstice date, Venus crosses the face of the sun. And then I had a friend who went down to the Maya lands for the 2012 winter solstice. And she said that she was in ceremony with all of these elders and the men gathered all of the ritual implements and the sacred objects. And they basically presented them to the women of the tribe and said, now it's you. Now we're here, we're here to learn from you. Whoa, I have chills. 
It was like this total switch energetically. Wow. And my understanding is that wasn't the only place that that happened. There was like this acknowledgement, like, yes, it's time for the feminine to come back online. And not that she's ever been offline, but in more of having more agency, right? Because when you think of the sun, you think of agency, like nothing's happening in the whole solar system without the sun. It gives light and warmth and it's the center. So the feminine having agency, you know, how does she hold that power? And the thing that I love about the Venus cycle is it really teaches us about power and how to hold power in a way that's trustable, in a way that, that we're not corrupted by it because it's this continuous, you know, it's this continuous movement of life, death, and rebirth, and then repeat. And so we get to really live into that burst of that young, untested, you know, impossible, courageous, I'm going to do it energy. And then the surrendering and softening of like, oh, wow, that really didn't turn out the way that I, my head thought. But what's the, what's the real here? What's the authenticity here? What, what's, what's my essence of, of what, what I want to create? And then the total underworld experience, which is the death of who we were. And then the re-arising in the rebirth. Now that we have that experience, we've been tempered by that suffering of loss of how we thought it would be. And now we get to re-arise in a, a more authentic way and in a more trustable way because we're more cohesive within ourselves. We're more, we're more honest than we were at the beginning, perhaps, or at least more mature and have the potential to be more compassionate and have more scope in the service work that we do. When we're working with the Venus cycle, how long is that process that you just talked about? The, you know, birth and then the surrender and then the death and then the rebirth. How long is that whole process? It's not eight years, right? No, it's 19 and a half months. So when, when Venus starts the cycle, Earth is here, Venus is here, and the sun is here. And so they're making a line, you know, just like... A- they can't see you. Oh, they can't see me. Oh, okay. <laughs> so <funny>. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is a podcast. Well, basically, they're in a line like a new moon, right? So that, that begins the cycle, and then it goes for 19 and a half months. And as soon as she comes far enough away from the sun, we see her as morning star. She's got about five or six months, you know, in, in the kind of surrendering. She's first high and bright, and then she's going down, going down, going down, lower and lower in the sky. She totally disappears into the underworld and then re-arises. And we have about five, six months where she's climbing, 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 and then sits at the very top. Okay, so almost two years. Okay. And, and what have you seen? Like when people start to work with this cycle, even in your own life, like what, what happens? Like what, what new kind of awareness or consciousness comes in? Well, it's a, it's what I've experienced in my own life is it's a a reminder and a support to include our interior, include what's happening inside us, include our feelings and our, um, our arising feelings without necessarily all the story that we usually have, that's more the emotions. And so I found I, I used to be a really overwhelmed person. I have a lot of feelings. I'm really super sensitive. And since I've synced with the Venus cycle, I find I'm much more able to stay in center and not get thrown. And, you know, I was very sensitive to the moon. I worked with the moon for a long time. And sometimes those full moons were just too intense for me. And so I found incorporating the Venus cycle, like it's more of a container for me um, 
to experience feelings without getting overwhelmed and clarity when there's feelings present. Because sometimes when there's feelings present, we get all scrambled, you know, we, and so to have that, that clarity um, has been really helpful. And I found that for a lot of my clients that they're actually able to live in more to their feminine, which is their receptive side, which is that receiving the moment right here as it is. And that we're all very conditioned to be in this hyper-masculine. And even for, you know, it doesn't benefit anyone to be in that way. Um, This isn't about gender, but just about modes of being and energetics. So to, to have more of that vulnerability and softness and listening inside. I can see that being extraordinarily beneficial because Okay, let's say the Mayan um, experience in 2012 is what the invitation is for many women and or the feminine essence, right? One of the things that can throw us off and, and kind of force us, or at least we think we need to, to go more into that masculine mode is the emotional body, is how do we navigate, you know, how do we, how do we lead something? How do we be an entrepreneur? How do we be, you know, these things in our life when we continue to get like completely railed by that emotional experience. So then it's like, well, then I'll just put up a bunch of armor and I won't feel anything and I'll just go, right? Which is like, you know, very masculine. So I can see how working with a cycle that gives us clarity in the moment and, and the ability to stay present with the emotions without the story. So we're acknowledging but not going into the downward spiral would enable us to show up more fully in that feminine essence without having to, d- to deny it and, and use the gifts of it. Because really there's so many gifts there, right? And that ability to feel and that ability to be in the heart is, um, is priceless. And, it, and it, conti- it, it infuses everything we do with an entirely different resonance. So we need to be able to do that. But like, all that other stuff is really hard to work with too. So I, I can see what you're saying could be really, really, really powerful for many people. Yeah, I've been really moved by Brene Brown's work, The Power of Vulnerability. And to me, that very much is articulating this quality because if we're not vulnerable, we're not actually in our creative genius. They're, they're intimately linked together. And so this invitation to be vulnerable, you know, is really there's a lot of science behind it. I mean, she's this researcher, so she has all of the science. And it was so interesting. Once you start to see the Venus cycle, and and I start to see it everywhere, and um, she has these three books, right? And the first one is about daring greatly. Oh, I'm doing it. I don't care what anyone thinks. And the second one is the gifts of imperfection. Oh, humble. Like, how do I become more authentic? And then her third book is Rising Strong. Okay, what have I learned? I made a mistake. I fell down. That's essential. Anyone who is wildly successful has also failed tremendously. I mean, I haven't met anyone yet who hasn't. Absolutely. And what you're saying, so from a scientific perspective, I would say absolutely that there's tons of backing. I would say also from a business perspective, what has been so interesting to me is to track and watch and experience with Astrology Hub as well, how much people prefer authenticity and realness and vulnerability and those things that in business before were totally shunned. I mean, you don't do that. You don't go and you don't, you don't share anything personal. You don't show any weakness. You don't, you don't admit that you made a mistake. You cover it up, you know, all those things. It's like, no, actually 
people don't want that. They want what's real. They want to, to know that there's an actual human heart and mind behind anything that they're putting their vote or you know dollars towards. So I see it with the people that inspire me the most in business. It's almost like the most vulnerable without the like whole whiny thing. It's not about that. You know, it's not like I'm going to just be whiny about my life, but, but a certain level of vulnerability, right? They are the ones that are having the most success, at least in the new frontier, which I think of like online business and all these, you know, things as like the new frontier. Those are the ones. That- right. Which is very age of Aquarius technology. Yes. Very age of Aquarius, right? Yeah. Those are the ones that like take off and, and have the, the even sometimes like cult like following, you know, or, or I'd, I'd rather say like they build their tribe. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's really amazing to see that it's, it's converging, you know, the, the message of Venus. Oh my God. I'm looking, oh my God, no way. I am looking at a box that I sit my computer on. I have sat my computer on this box for years and I have never seen this word until right this very moment, Venus, literally. Venus, right there. What? <laughs> talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Well, she's talking to all of you guys. That, that, that's amazing. Whoa. Um, anyways, it, let me recover from that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let me, let me say something while you're recovering. So, you know, if we think about like this dominator consciousness is having its last gasp, right? Those are all the planets in Capricorn. I mean, that's the big to-do of 2020, right? Is, whoa, like we're really getting to see what power over how it, how, how that plays out in culture. And it's not going well. And we're at a choice point. And that is the age of Aquarius choice point is how, what do we choose? Do we choose harnessing the technology and the innovation and this ability now to reach people globally in order to benefit the more people in the world so that they have their, not just their basic needs met, but they actually can bring their spark of genius and they can actually add and contribute to the, the group intelligence so that we can innovate beyond, you know, anything that's come before. So we're going outside the box of Saturn. Uranus is the next planet. It's like, Oh, humans, it's right here. You're not even using all of your brains. So what would happen if we opened up, this kind of creative potential in more humans at this critical point, and we can do that with our technology, or that you know sci-fi f- movie that none of us want to be in, where Big Brother's watching us and we're getting implanted and goodbye biological life on the planet because you know AI has taken over or something. <laughs> you know that's that's the the you know the road that um, well personally I don't want to live in that road uh, on that path. I don't think our listeners, our listeners don't either. I mean, all of us value with uh, value the um, connection with nature just way too much. So much, and so Uranus is in the sign of Taurus right now for the next seven years, and so because Uranus is ruling Aquarius, it's one of the rulers of Aquarius along with Saturn. I feel like it's really pointing us to to this nature the nature of our bodies, the bio- the honoring, the reverence for biological life, taking a stand for that in whatever way is ours to do and to really honor it within ourselves. And so Taurus is ruled by Venus. And so it's about that interior. It's about going in. So the heroine's journey is about going in, deepening into feeling more, whereas the hero's journey is about going out. And so it's like coming back into this place and finding the richness in the underworld, which Christianity might call hell, 
but to actually be able to go into that power of the feminine to transmute these really challenging situations by going into our body, going into the feeling, and then having it change within us and then birthing something new from that. I mean, the power of the female body to create is very connected to Taurus. And so it just feels like we're really being pointed in that direction of no matter what gender we are honoring this, the, the genius, the brilliance of, of humanity and of nature into connecting with that more and more this next year as an antidote to some of the intensity. Mm, very nice. Well, Sasha, I am so excited that you're going to be one of our inner circle guides. You guys, just a few more days to register and enroll in the inner circle and join us for this journey. So you're going to be our inner circle guide in May. And, and that will be the beginning of a new Venus cycle, that a new 19 and a half month Venus cycle that we can initiate together with you. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to initiate it together. It's also going to be the kickoff of eclipse season and North Node is going to be in Gemini. So there is a huge Gemini opening up and I'm really holding that as how do we live with this, with this curiosity about our feelings, about this open inquiry and this, you know, coming out of a lot of the, the um, polarization that's been happening in human conversations, how do we get really curious about each other and different perspectives and begin to connect more around what, what we do love, like nature? astrology and all, all of this. So it's wonderful that you're, you're creating this forum to do that. Such a labor of love. Um, you know, Cameron Allen, who's another inner circle astrologer in 2020, he said, um, whenever you're feeling fear about the future, to see if you can shift that into curiosity. So it's like this curiosity word for 2020 seems like a, a nice invitation for all of us to really, instead of going to fear, instead of, you know, going into judgment of other people that are around you having opinions, if we can shift that into curiosity, that there is a lot there for us to learn. Beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Sasha, thank you so much. Cannot wait to connect with you in a couple of months and um, start that Venus. I, I haven't ever done the 19 and a half month uh venus cycle like i haven't done it real intimately like you're talking about and i'm very excited to track this with you this will be really fun oh i'm so excited for you to sync with it i think you're you're going to receive a lot from it i think everyone else will too so i'm really excited to bring that sasha thank you so much for being with us today and we will see you again very soon thank you so much amanda Thank you so much for listening to Sasha and deepening your relationship with Venus, who's going to be speaking to everyone who will listen in this upcoming Venus cycle. Now, join us next week for a best of the 2020 forecast episode, where we're going to be sharing the highlight moments of the 2020 forecast marathon, which starts today, January 9th. It also is airing tomorrow, the 10th, Saturday, the 11th, and then also we're having our bonus free meditation during the big conjunction that you have been hearing about on this podcast for months. So we're going to be coming together in group with the guidance of the astrologers to really set the right tone of energy for that major conjunction. If you haven't signed up yet to join 12 world-class astrologers absolutely free, you can still do that at astrologyhub.com slash 2020 forecast. Again, that's astrologyhub.com slash 
2020 forecast. You're going to hear about key dates, windows of opportunity, unique challenges you'll likely face, and all the wild energy that's shaping up to be the most interesting astrological year we've seen in quite some time. I really hope to see you there in the chat. Again, that's astrologyhub.com slash 2020 forecast. We're getting started here in just a few hours. Cannot wait. In the meantime, thank you so much for tuning into this episode, for being a part of our community, and as always, for making astrology a part of your life. I'll catch you on the next episode. Why is there so much buzz around 2020 among top astrologers? And what does it mean for you? Get behind the scenes insight from 12 renowned astrologers on your biggest opportunities and challenges for 2020. Just go to astrologyhub.com slash 2020 forecast to reserve your free spot in the online 2020 astrology forecast marathon event. That's astrologyhub.com slash 2020 forecast. Hi, this is Chris Kaplan, the producer of the Astrology Hub podcast. This episode is over, but check the show notes for links to products and services you've heard about during this episode. And if you enjoyed our show, please subscribe and rate using the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcasts.